the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. I don't know if you saw Whoopi Goldberg. She got herself... You saw she got herself into some hot water, which ironically, she seems surprised by. Uh, But on The View, she's one of the hosts of The View. Uh, She is now suspended from that role. As a host on The View, they got into a discussion about race and the Holocaust. And I don't it seems like an interesting intersection of how they got there. But Whoopi Goldberg said that uh, the, the Holocaust was not about race, like that is not a race issue. And. People blew up about this. Of course. Like, of rightfully course. so. They went crazy about this. Whoopi Goldberg then apologized on Twitter or somewhere on social media. But then she went on the late show with Stephen Colbert. And uh, I would say she tried to explain herself and it probably didn't go as well as she had hoped. Let's listen to what some of what she had to say. Would you care to uh, follow up? Clarify what you said this morning, because it confused some people. It it upset a lot of people, which was never, ever, ever, ever my intention. I thought we were having a discussion uh, because I feel being black when we talk about race, it's a very different thing to me. Mm -hmm. So I said that I, I felt that the Holocaust wasn't about race. And people got very, very, very angry and still are angry. I mean, I'm getting, you know, all of the the mail from folks and mm-hmm. the very real anger because people feel very differently. But I thought it was a salient discussion because as a black person, I think of race as being something that I can see. So I see you and I know what race you are. And. The discussion was about how I felt about that. I felt that that it was really more about man's inhumanity to man and how horrible people can be to people. And we're seeing it manifest itself these days. But people were very angry and they said, no, no, we are a race. And I, I, I understand. I understand. I, I felt differently. I respect everything everyone is saying to me. And I, I you know, I don't want to fake apologize. You know, I, I was I am very upset about, that people are misunderstood what I was saying. And so because of it, uh, they're saying that I'm anti-Semitic and that uh, I'm denying the Holocaust and all these other things, which, you know, would never occur to me to do. I thought we were having a discussion about race, which Everyone, I think, is having. All right, Aubrey, I have, I have lots of thoughts about this, about what Whoopi Goldberg had to say. But I'll let you go first. As you heard what she said and then you heard what she said on Colbert's show, um, what, what are your thoughts about this? Well, OK. I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot of things, right? So mm-hmm. the first is, you know how I feel about the non-apology apology. I just I think it's very strongly terrible and gross and it makes me angry. 
And this was a non-apology apology. In fact, I don't even know, at least on the late show now, I haven't followed what she said on Twitter. I, I don't know other things she's done. At least on Stephen Colbert's show, this was not an apology. I mean, she she was like, I'm sorry if you got hurt, not I'm sorry I hurt you, and certainly not I'm sorry I said these things. So it wasn't mm-hmm. an apology. Okay, so that reaction I think is is ridiculous. But I also think the hubris that it takes to in any way, shape, or form say the Holocaust was not about race is mm-hmm. just, I mean, it 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 it's nauseating. Mm-hmm. And I understand as a, I mean, I don't understand because I haven't been through it. I respect and I believe that as a black woman, Whoopi Goldberg has experienced a lifetime of racism. Mm-hmm. I don't know for a person who has experienced that type of racism would dare, dare compare or contrast her experience to the genocide of a race mm-hmm. of people. I mean, I yeah. think it is, I think it is so it's so terrible. It's so embarrassing. I think she should just honestly say, you know what? I shouldn't have said it. That was wrong. That yeah. uh, that completely undermines what a race of people have done. And the reality is there is anti-Semitic racism that we have mm-hmm. to speak out against. And mm-hmm. just because you may not be able to tell by looking at someone that they're Jewish doesn't mean the racism isn't real. Uh and it and it doesn't have to you can, both things can be true as a black woman she has experienced devastating racism as a race the jewish people experienced devastating racism in the holocaust and ongoing throughout history so like both can be true i don't that's know right. why she has to compare anyway go ahead yeah her apology online most people were going that's a good apology okay she but then Col- i feel like more honesty came out of colbert uh, and then she was suspended for two weeks and now she's threatening to quit. So it's yeah. it's escalating yeah. as we go. My takeaway was two uh, two things here, Aubrey. I think one, um, I think this is yet another uh, example as to why we must not tell people of other uh, races, other ethnicities, other backgrounds, how they should feel and how they should think about themselves. Mm. And we mm. do this often, right? Yeah. This is what if what if we we were talking about Black History Month, I think yesterday or something, and we were talking about some other things. And we said uh, for uh, for me as a white guy, like this is a chance to listen, yeah. right, and to yeah. not tell people this is how you should feel. How do I know how you should feel, right? right? How do right. I know? And and it feels like Whoopi Goldberg has done that. The second thing I would say is this: shows like The View. Like cable news, like, uh, I mean, quite frankly, Aubrey, you and I have a talk show. Yeah. We have a microphone in front of our faces. Uh, Sometimes people can get an inflated view of themselves that says, I am qualified to speak Mm, on everything. Right. And sometimes you need to go, this is not in my wheelhouse. Yeah. I can't speak. You and I do this. I know this is a much smaller deal, but we do that on the show sometimes. We'll talk about, should we talk about that? And one of us will go, I don't feel like I'm qualified or justified to talk about that and kind of keep it off. And so this also feels like that someone like Whippy Goldberg on the view, she's been in the limelight forever, probably thinks I can speak on anything I want and not have it blow back. And in fact, I'm on a show where I'm supposed to say things that are controversial and doing this. I think this is a little bit of that, but most of all, my biggest takeaway is this. Uh, Don't tell other people how they're supposed to feel and think. Uh, yeah, people yeah. who uh, who you whose backgrounds you do not understand. Right. I, I don't right. understand right. why anyone who isn't Jewish would ever even even uh, go close to the line of talking about the Holocaust and telling people what this was about or what you should do. Right. It's sort of like too, and and I I hope I don't mean to be crass when I say this. I, I actually mean this very sincerely. Something like 
the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. That's just like sacred territory. Like in my mind, like you just don't go there and in any way, in any way, shape or form, try to uh, minimize it. You just Mm. don't. And and I also feel that way about slavery in America. Like Mm. you just don't go there and try to minimize it. Like these were evil things, period. Let them be evil. And again, I just think her pride, even in the defense of her view is probably a call to all of us. Like, look, (laughs) just like you said, Brian, don't let none of us Assume that we have the right perspective of right. of what has happened to a race of people in such an evil way. Like, let us just be humble and uh, shut our mouths. That's good. Uh, we'll leave it at that. There is some irony uh, that Whoopi Goldberg spoke out last week against Joe Rogan. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> right, right. kind of coming back. Well, coming up next, John Brandon, author and columnist for Forbes magazine. He's going to join us to talk about his new book, The Seven Minute Productivity Solution, How to Manage Your Schedule overcome distraction, and achieve the results you want. You're going to want to hear what John has to say next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and Aubrey and I are thrilled uh, to be joined by the author of a new book that I think is so important. It's a book that all of us need, and we're feeling the struggles that it talks about. It's called The Seven-Minute Productivity Solution, How to Manage Your Schedule, Overcome Distraction, and Achieve the Results You Want. That author is John Brandon. John, how are you doing today? Really good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. We're thrilled. We're excited to talk to you about your book. Before we jump into the book, John, could you just introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Sure. So I am a I worked in the corporate world for about 10 years. Uh, I actually was downsized after 9-11. So 9-18-2001, I became a journalist and I, you know, lived on food stamps there for a while and, and tried to support four little kids at, at in the home. It was actually my wife's idea that I uh, use my journalism degree. And so I started out, it took about a year. Eventually, I started writing for a few tech magazines and business magazines. But eventually, I landed at Inc. Magazine, inc.com. And I did a business column there for 10 years. And then I switched to Forbes, and I currently write for Forbes. Mm. Wow, that's so interesting. And I know that the strategies in your new book actually came out of that experience of losing your job, starting your writing career. Can you talk to us about some of the first steps you began to take in developing your morning routine? Yeah, this is all pretty organic stuff. I, I did a morning routine in those early days when I was just working out of a home office My wife encouraged me to just keep at it, and for about six months, every day when I was writing, I had to write in a journal. It was basically like I was forcing myself to do it because I had to collect my thoughts and say, okay, I got four little kids. I need to figure out what I'm doing. I don't really know what I'm doing, and I don't even have any magazines to write for at this Hmm. point. took six months to land the first gig. And, you know, there's a story in the book about my brother-in-law used to go to Cub Foods up here in Minneapolis and drop off uh, groceries on our front step and, like, run away so we didn't Mm. know it was him. Mm. Uh, But I had to collect my thoughts. I had to think about what was important for the day. And I just had to have this time alone to think about what I'm doing 
and plan things out. And so that actually led to an article that I wrote for Inc. Uh, called The Seven-Minute Morning Routine. And hundreds of thousands of people read that article. It went viral. It's still out there today. And then that led to this book. Wow. And John, let's jump in there. Why the morning? What What is it about the morning that is important for better productivity throughout the day? Talk to us about that. Yeah, I wish I could pronounce the word. I use it in the book, but it's a brain science term. It has to do with the genes in our brain connecting and the synapses. Uh, I guess to find the word, you have to read the book, right? Yeah, so, there you go. Uh, right, right. But, but it has something, to, and I don't claim to be a brain scientist, by the way, mm. uh, but I do know enough about it that our brain seems to be on firing on all cylinders in the morning, and we're more attentive, we're more focused. It's not just the coffee. There's just something about the mornings. You know, I would say as a Christian, it's the way God created us. That's mm. how I view this. Uh, that we're just more attentive and then we can plan things out and we're just much more structured and linear and like, okay, one thing at a time. And then, of course, as we all know, by 4 p.m., we're just thinking about dinner, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. (laughs) And then kind of speaking of that, you suggest the morning. Why seven minutes? I'm dying to know why you landed on that number. And and I love talking to the, to people in radio about this because it turns out (laughs) that, uh, you, you guys actually, uh, created this where there's a seven minute segment, right? That's right. Um, but it also comes from the classroom. It's called sustained attention span and it lasts about seven minutes. It means that that's how long we can focus before we need to do something else. So Mm. I thought that is just the sweet spot of productivity. And then if we can somehow learn to do that over seven minutes, maybe we can do that throughout the day as well. Yeah. And John, talk to us about distractions. Like I know when I get up, I'm already feeling convicted right now because when I get up, the first thing I do is usually check my phone. What did I miss overnight? Twitter. And I kind of get about my day. So maybe help us understand how do you frame your morning to not to kind of get rid of distractions? And then what do you do with just distractions throughout the day? Yeah, I'm not even going to say that I don't know if there's a time in history when we've had so many distractions. Mm. I know that's a bold statement. Yeah. But if you think about social media, phones, iPads, three laptops laying around, it's Mm -hmm. all available to us instantly. We're always connected. Um, what What I would say about distraction is that you have to fight it. You can't just give in to the battle and doom scroll and do Instagram all day. You've got to come up with some tactics and strategies that help you deal with all the distractions of life. Um, I have a section in the book that talks about, uh, this comes from C.S. Lewis, the author. He talked about how uh, hell is going to be filled with noise Mm. and distractions. And in, in our daily life, yes, the distractions are around us, but we actually have an opportunity to be more intentional and work on things that matter and have purpose in life with the right tools and then and then we can avoid all those random squirrel moments that happen throughout the day. I love I I love that thought focusing on the things that you know have more meaning, have more value because I do think a lot of people hear productivity and they just think like I'm doing more, I'm accomplishing more, I'm uh-huh. hustling more, but it sounds like you're saying something else. What is better productivity? You know, I have a little story to tell you from the book about that. And this is something that's such a minor little thing that happened when I was writing the book. It just happened to be snowing one day when I was at a hotel. And I had to go for a walk just to get out, clear my head. I took about 
you know, just a few minutes to get outside. And I was walking across a bridge and I got to the point where it was so icy that the only way to get across the bridge, well, one thing I could have done is gone out in traffic. That's dangerous. <laughs> you know, a book author struck by a car trying to be productive, right? So, so what I, and then the other option is I could have just turned back, you know, given up and said, I'm not going to get where I'm going. And what I actually did is I just moved really slowly and I shuffled on the ice and I got across the bridge. And I just think if people listening to this can just say to themselves, it's not how fast you work, it's not how hyper productive you are, but are you moving in the right direction? Are you getting across the bridge? Sometimes it's going to be slow, you know, yeah. Sometimes you have to take a break and slow down. But are you working on the right things? Are you just, you know, take a breath and think about, is this the right thing to be working on right now? Yeah. And John, in your book, you talk about the routines that you have and the need to unlearn them. I talked about one of my routines, you know, get out of bed and check my phone or whatever else it might be. Uh, how do we even take the first step to unlearn our, the routines that are causing us distractions or causing us not to be pr uh, productive? How do we unlearn these kind of routines? Yeah. And I, I've told people, like, take that little plastic gizmo and lock it in the trunk of your car. And see <laughs> uh, right. Because actually, that can work. Um, so some productivity experts do say, like, get rid of the phone, get rid of the apps. I mm. actually don't agree with that. Mm. And the reason is because what happens is people delete Instagram and they say, I'm never going to use it again. And then two months later, they go back to it, install it on their phone, and they yeah. never dealt with that bad habit. Mm. And so what I'm saying is, you know, go ahead and use Instagram. It has some value. There's some great photos of kittens and babies on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, go ahead and look at them, but just do it in a controlled way. Do it for seven minutes and then log off and wow. don't even think about it again for a couple hours at least. Mm, that's good. That's such uh, such practical wisdom. And then, John, uh, you know, just to ask you another question about the book, I know you talk about debriefing. Would you explain for our listeners what that actually looks like practically? Yeah. And some of us just don't look back on our day. We just, you know, go to bed, we watch Netflix. Well, actually watch Netflix and then go to bed. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe, maybe the other way around sometimes. Yeah. Um, but we don't think about the day. There's something in the book called hope moments. And what that means is those things that were just life-changing moments. Uh, my, my daughter just got married recently and mm. her hope moment for the day was she got married. Yeah. You know, maybe you got a new job. Maybe you got a really encouraging email from your boss. Um, there's something called rumination where we don't spend the time doing this either because we're doom scrolling on Instagram, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but rumination actually tells us these were the important things that happened. And then, oh, by the way, the next day, do more of that. Mm. Um, and then the other thing about looking back on your day. So I really recommend writing those things down. Um, we're 35% more likely to remember things when we write them down. We're 70% more likely to remember them when we tell somebody what we did and what we accomplished during the day. So find someone who you can do accountability with. But yeah, just that looking back and saying, wow, some amazing things happened. And I hope those things happen today as well. That's good. And John, let me ask you one more question. 
because uh, this is kind of foundational to your book. And so it might be a difficult one, but how would you even describe productivity? Because I think a lot of us, the more stuff I get done, the more productive my day has been. But my guess is you probably take a different look at productivity. How would you define that? Yep. So I wrote an article about this uh, for Inc. years and years ago. And, and in it, the topic was based on something that I found in my own writing, my own productivity. And what I said was, what you focus on will be your greatest area of success. Mm. And that's how I define productivity. So when you focus on the right things, the things with purpose and meaning in your life, you become a person who has purpose and meaning in life. When you focus on Facebook and, you know, TikTok or whatever it is, you become someone who focuses on those random, shallow things mm, in life. Wow. So, so who do you want to be? Mm. What do you want to be productive with? Is it is it things that have purpose and meaning or is it things that are shallow and don't have purpose? That's so helpful. Aubrey and I are both pastors. I can that preaches a sermon right there, Aubrey, about reading your Bible in the morning, right? Or right. reading or right playing there. are yes. also as well. Again, John Brandon is an author and a Forbes columnist. His new book, which we really want to encourage you to go pick up, is called The Seven Minute Productivity Solution. How to manage your schedule, overcome distraction, and achieve the results you want. You can learn more about John and his book at sevenminutesolution.com. That's sevenminutesolution.com. Also, obviously, pick up the book over at Amazon or wherever it is you get your books. You can also connect with John on Twitter at jmbrandonbb. That's at jmbrandonbb. John, thanks so much for this book, and thanks so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed the chat. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so glad that you're with us today. One of the things that we talked about just a couple days ago is that it is officially, now that it's February, Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be a fun discussion to talk about one reasons that we celebrate Black History Month, because some people are like, what is this and why? And then some ways to practice and celebrate Black History Month. So we've got a great list from Keith Simmons talking about five reasons we celebrate Black History Month. And I um, thought, Brian, you and I could just go through the list and then unpack it for our listeners. So here's yeah, the sure. first reason. Uh, one of the reasons is to remember significant contributions made by African-Americans. Why do we celebrate Abraham Lincoln's birthday or Labor Day? Well, of course, it's because we want to celebrate the achievements of one person in the case of President Lincoln or a group of people in the case of those who go to work each day to build the country. Or think of St. Patrick's Day, which started in the United States as a way to honor Irish culture. And I would add to this the uh, Irish saint who died for his faith. Mm. It seems only reasonable that the country would set aside a time to recognize important contributions made by African-Americans. So Mm -hmm. that's reason number one. Yeah. Number two. And I found these helpful reading through them. Mm -hmm. Uh, just it reminds you, A, that it is Black History Month, but yeah. B, why, why it's important and why uh, we should pause to remember. Number two was to remember how far we've come, yet how far we have to go. It's mm-hmm. always a little tricky to quantify racial progress, but let's start with some statistics from the Brookings Institute. In 1940, 60 percent of employed black women worked as domestic servants. Today, that number is down to 2.2 percent, while 60 percent hold white collar jobs. In 1958, 44 percent of whites said they would move if a black family became their next door neighbor. Today, in studies, that figure is one percent. Wow. 
1964, the year the Great Civil Rights Act was passed, only 18 percent of whites claimed to have a friend who was black. Today, 86 percent say they do, while 87 percent of blacks assert that they have white friends. Forty percent of African-Americans now consider themselves members of the middle class. So he goes on to end with this. He says, as much progress has been made, there's still much left to do. Black History Month allows Christians to thank God for the former and pray and work for the latter. Oh, I love that. What, sometimes statistics feel like you're like, I don't understand this, but these are so helpful to Those hear. Are helpful, Those are really, sure. really good. Okay, another reason that we celebrate Black History Month is to give thanks to God for the work of the Black Church. The Civil Rights mm. Movement was a Christian movement led by pastors, organized in churches. Uh, We're reminded here that music as diverse as gospel, blues, and jazz were rooted in Black spiritual music at home and in the church. I I like that. That's a good one, too. Number four, to remember that Black history is our history. This might be controversial, but I don't mean it to be. He writes what I think his name was Keith Simon. It's just that majority populations tend to forget or overlook the contributions of minorities. But when we stop and remember how minorities have contributed to the country, it reminds us of how much we need each other, that we are a stronger country because we are a a diverse country. And so the idea that uh, understand taking time to remember uh, the the contributions throughout our history, in particular of African Americans here during Black History Month. That's so good. And this fifth one, Brian, is something that we talked about yesterday. So I just want to reiterate it here. He says to remember that God is glorified by diversity. Revelation 5, 9 tells us that Jesus was crucified so that through blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. He says God isn't colorblind and neither should Mm. we be. So that's a that's a good word on why. All right, Brian. So let's uh, not forget to move into what we can do. These are some practices from Leon A. Rodriguez, and uh, he gives us five ways that we can celebrate Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we'll just keep sharing if you're okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll go with the first one. He says, stake the claim in your congregation that Black history is an integral part of our shared American history. Celebrate it. This is a way to acknowledge the incredible efforts of black brothers and sisters to persist Mm. and thrive. And I would just say one way to do that is if your church has social media, just say happy black history month. Mm. If your church brings in guest preachers, bring in a black brother or sister who is a preacher and, uh, you know, do some things, not token things, meaningful things, but um, just honor and note like, yeah, it's black history month. We're going to honor that. Yeah. Number two, uh, support continued efforts for equity and inclusion in your congregation and the community. Contemplate and develop acts of confession uh, and reparations for those who have been historically marginalized or denied justice. So look for organizations that are doing work that you believe in, uh, that you can support uh, and, and go ahead and do that. Yeah, that's good. I really like this next one. Number three, pray, teach and preach about the call of the gospel to serve the oppressed. Bring hope and love justice. Don't be afraid to ask, why is it think why is it the excuse me, why is this the way it is? How did it come about? And what can we do as a church to address these inequities? And number four, uh, learn and study more about famous people uh, of African descent in America and all over the world. Encourage children to embrace these role models, irrespective of their ethnic heritage or skin color. So use it as an opportunity to learn, read books, uh, talk about people who have been influential through the years. It's a good uh, reminder to do that during Black History Month. Yeah, that's good. And then the last one is similar to what you just said, Brian. Read authors. I would add, listen to podcasts, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever you kind of consume these days. Read authors from other ethnic groups and who hold different perspectives, particularly ones who may have firsthand experience with the black history throughout the world. So those are Mm. some practical ways 
uh, reasons why we celebrate Black History Month, what we can do about it. I think that's a good list for all of us. Brian, is there anything that your church will particularly do or anything you as a family will do? Will you watch any documentaries? Will you read any articles, anything that uh, you do for Black History Month? I need, uh, I, I know we just talked about this. I, I, If I'm going to be truthful, I don't have an answer to that question. Yeah, this yeah. is the first I thought about it. So that's why these are helpful segments. I'm so glad we did like, this. I was like, oh, it's it's February. Yes, yeah. that's what this is. So this is helpful. So I do not have an answer to that question. How about yourself? Um, You know, again, you, you know this. Our church is, uh, this is like conversation that we have pretty typically at Renewal Church because we are multi-ethnic. So like this weekend, we have a um, black preacher coming in from another church. We're going to do, there's a group of people planning some type of celebration. And then just personally, I like to find and follow people who are saying things that are meaningful about black history on um, social media and just learning from them. Sometimes Mm. retweeting or resharing, reposting, whatever um, they're saying and doing. Interestingly, it's also the the Lunar New Year. So some of my friends of Chinese descent are sharing about the Lunar New Year along with Black History Month, and they're coming up with some really creative Instagram posts. So that's that's been kind of fun to have like a, I don't know, like a double celebration. Do you know, let's do a quiz. <gasps> do you know when Black History Month became a thing? It used to be Black History Week. Do you know when Black History Month began? It's so funny you say this because I just read this on the History Channel, but I don't know. When was it? Uh, Gerald Ford, 1976. There we go. I just looked it up. That's why the internet is a wonderful thing. Love that internet. (laughs) Well, thanks for that, Brian. Coming up next, we are joined by Danielle Zapchank. She is a speaker. She's a host of a new podcast called The Parable Podcast, and she's having an event this Saturday that I'm actually a part of. So we're excited to be joined by Danielle to learn more about that event. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined by Danielle Zapchank. She's a speaker and the host of The Parable Podcast. She has a women's event coming up uh, that I'm personally excited to talk to you about. We'll tell you why in just a minute. She also happens to be the wife of one of our co-workers mm-hmm. at uh, AM 1160. So this is very fun. It's kind of a family event here with Danielle. Danielle, thanks so much for being here with us today. Sure, true. It's like old home week. I used to work at WYLL. <laughs> so oh, there we go. That's that's how I met Eric. It's like a Jim and Pam office experience. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yes, he's my gym helper for sure. Oh, I love that. That is so awesome. Well, Danielle, for our uh, our listeners who may not know you from those WYLL days, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a wife and a mom, uh, and we live in Huntley, Illinois, and I'm a part of a church, Westridge Community Church in Elgin, and I help run their communications and marketing. I'm on their teaching team, and I love women's ministry, so I'm heavily involved in our women's ministry. And um, recently, I started a podcast called The Parable Podcast, and it really just helps people understand that your story matters and Mm. just to see God in your story. And there's Mm. lessons to share from your life and to impart it to others to say, yeah, it it matters and God is using it for good. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, Danielle makes me laugh every time I've gone into your husband's office. He has all sorts of office paraphernalia. So we always (laughs) end up discussing the office. So uh, the parable podcast, let's start there. Why did you start it? You gave us a little bit of the background of it, but what's also the format if people were to download it? what, what, What is the format of the podcast? 
Yeah, well, I would believe it, it is very conversational. I love talking and hearing people's stories. I think Jesus, he did that so well in mm-hmm. those parables. And there's those lessons that are in that. And so, you know, just getting to know people. I don't actually know most of these folks. So we're just getting to know each other, having a conversation. And I ask them to dive into a story they'd like to share. And then we have a conversation about it. Like, you know, what did you learn? What would you wish that you could tell yourself like 10 years ago? Mm. And so from that, and it's just beautiful to see how God is working in their life. You know, we don't get to see the full picture until, you know, maybe we're at the end of it. So I think that's what I love about it. And it's, it's very relatable. And um, Danielle, when when you have obviously listeners come to the podcast, do you have a hope in mind? Like, I really hope they're taking away X, Y, Z as they listen. Yeah, I would think the the most the biggest desire of my heart is that people then take that story and then they talk about it with their family and friends. I think it's easy to become very surface with our friends and talk about the latest shows or the office or whatever. But really, uh, true community and discipleship and connection is going to happen in those hard conversations and the stories of our life. And that's where we're going to we're going to meet and see Jesus and, and have that experience with one another. So that's my my greatest hope. That's awesome. Again, it's called the Parable Podcast. We'd encourage people to go uh, download it wherever you get your podcasts. And like you said, there's a special event that you're helping lead at West Ridge Community Church. Uh, let's before people before we point people to how they can get involved, tell us about the known women's event. I know uh, you have a speaker at it who we all know very well, but tell us about the event in general and then how can women get involved in it? Yeah, so it's it's very simple. I think connection is huge. Just the same concept of this, the podcast into women's ministry. Women, um, once you are known by somebody, obviously by God, but you want to be known in community as well. So this is a time for connection. We're kind of doing a, like a speed dating spin. So we're calling it speed friending. And we're just going to be able to connect and meet a whole bunch of people. We're going to have breakfast. And then the boss of all bosses, Aubrey's going to give us and <laughs> preach, <laughs> preach a word to us and talk about, you know, what it what it means to look like to be known. And so it is this Saturday, the 5th. It is from 9 to 11 a.m. We're going to have breakfast for you and it's going to be awesome. And I, and I would just encourage if you want to come, it's in Elgin. Um, register by seven tonight as we're, we're getting food prepped and, and things. So it's westridgechurch.com if you're interested in looking that up. So again, that's westridgechurch.com. You have until seven o'clock tonight to register. Danielle and I are both going to be there, as she just said, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm just kind of thinking generally about that theme, Danielle. Obviously, for the past two years, many people have been dealing with loneliness and isolation. Why do you think gathering for an event like this, you know, is so important right now? Yeah, I think it's important in the sense of it's just like stepping our foot back into it. And I would say this has happened before COVID as well. It's it's just, you know, putting yourself in community is scary. And so, you know, don't worry if you come to this event or if you go to a church, it's not like we're going to ask you to share your life story. So it's just these like little steps. And it's kind of like just being obedient to listening to what what God wants us to experience in community. No, we're not alone. And other people, maybe it doesn't look exactly the same, but they're going through similar struggles, similar joys. And 
And in that, we can learn more about ourselves. So whether you come to this event or you listen to the Parable Podcast or you're going to another church event, I think it's it's important. God wants us um, to be in community, whether that's virtual or in person. Yeah. And back to the podcast, Danielle, I'm, a similar question. I wonder, uh, you you talk about people needing to be known. What what has it done to your faith, to your life, uh, just getting to know these other people, hearing other people's stories? How have you been impacted through uh, doing this podcast? Yeah, I guess it's just that connection of hearing somebody's story and being like, oh my gosh, they have experienced a similar situation. You know, I thought even in starting this podcast, I'm like, what does my, why does it even matter? Like, I am, I don't have a biblical studies degree. I have never podcasted in my life. I'm, if I think about it, I, you know, put myself in this box of I'm, I'm just a mom. And, you know, moms have voices. We all have voices. And so, gosh, it just feels like there's this community sense and God is helping weave these stories all together. I love that, Danielle. And I, I do think actually something that we'll talk about at the event on Saturday is that very thing. There are so many times we say, I'm just a, uh, and you fill in the blank. And that keeps you from doing what God is calling you to do. So I love that you stepped out in faith um, to do that. Can you um, just tell our listeners one more time where they can find the podcast and where they can learn more about the Westridge Women's Event? Sure. So the Parable Podcast, we are on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Um, and you can find me on Instagram. It's at Danielle Zapchenk. It's Z-A-P-C-H-E-N-K. And then for uh, this Westridge event, it's westridgechurch.com. Uh, we are in Elgin and we'd love to see you there. If you want to stop by, I'd love to meet you in person. Danielle, thanks so much for being here with us today. Again, as Danielle said, you can learn more about the Westridge Women's Event at westridgechurch.com. You can learn more about Danielle and her podcast at daniellezapchank.com. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I'm going to be Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And depending on where you're driving home right now, we hope you're driving home safely. Mm-hmm. It's been a crazy snowy day, a snowy evening as well. And so we are just praying that uh, we're keeping you warm. Brian and I are like a warm fire to your soul as you drive home <laughs> and that you're being safe on the road. Brian, days like this can either bring you joy because, uh, you know, because it's fun. There was a snow day for a lot of our kids. It's kind of fun to have an exciting weather event happen. Or it can make you feel really, really depressed because mm-hmm. it's winter and we're reminded that we can't go anywhere and we're stuck inside. Depending on your personality, you probably have one or two reactions. Um, and that got me thinking about things that bring us joy and things that sabotage our joy. And there's actually an article over at Relevant Magazine written by Deborah Folletta that talks about five habits that sabotage joy. Before we dive into that, I thought you and I could just have a conversation about things that bring us joy and things that diminish our joy. Mm. So um, do, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, Brian. I'm ready. But yeah, talk to us. What brings you joy? What ruins your joy? Yeah. And this is where we always get in that conversation about what's the difference between joy and happiness. Mm, but I'll, we'll, we'll ahead, blow through that. I, I would say for me, the things that bring me joy, I love to uh, so my family brings me great joy, but especially when we get away, I, mm. that is like my sweetest spot when my family gets away. And if you could tell me we're getting away to the beach, 
there you go. Like that's a week, your place. That's your happy place. That is it. And so for me, family time brings me great joy. And I, I don't even say that like there are people are like, oh, that's what you're supposed to say. Nope. I actually believe it. You like, mean that. Yeah. Yes. That is what does it for me. Uh, there's other little things walking to a uh, uh, when you go to like Wrigley Field or another baseball stadium, when you first walk out and see that field is like, I love that moment. Right. Oh, like, cool. Those types of things. What robs my joy? The first thing that came to mind for me when you asked me that uh, is, uh, yeah, it's monotony. Mm, it's when and we talked about this earlier. We did. In the show, interesting. Well, when we talked about Groundhog Day, when it just feels like you're going through the motions and it's the same thing every day and there's yeah. nothing different. And you're like, what's the point? You know, like that kind of feel. Yeah, uh, that's the first thing. When you asked me what robs me of joy, mm-hmm. I was actually surprised that that's the answer that came into my head. But, yeah. but monotony was it for me. Well, how would you answer both questions? OK, that's so interesting. So I would. Um, what brings me joy? I OK, this is part of the reason I love snow days. I love family time, too. Like, I love when my kids are home from school. And I know that drives a lot of parents crazy. And it sometimes does drive me crazy. But I just, I don't know. I love we get to be in our pajamas and hang out together and laugh together. And even if sometimes we're doing separate things, just like knowing all of my people are warm and cozy in my home is very enjoyable to me. And I'm with you. I mean, a vacation with the family, there's not much that can beat that. I would say... I don't know if it's selfish or not, but like I love Disney theme parks. And if I could like <laughs> if I could like walk through and just chill at Epcot with my family, I'm happy. That is like my happy place right there. Hold I on. love the beach too, but I love Epcot. Go ahead. You, well, let's go there for a second okay. before we dive into okay. this article. Epcot, of all the ones you would choose Epcot? I know. Isn't that so funny? Because you kind of think of it as like the quote unquote boring one. But I love the atmosphere of all the countries like in the World Showcase. And I love getting food and drinks from the different locations and shopping in like the different like country shops. And do your sons like like Epcot? So, you know, what's really funny. You think they wouldn't. Right. Because most kids don't like Epcot. My kids love Epcot. Like, in fact, I recently asked them if you could only if you had one day to go to only one Disney park, because someone was actually asking me like for some advice. They all chose Epcot. And I thought for sure they'd pick like Hollywood Studios where the Star Wars stuff is and the Toy Story stuff is. All three of them, 10, 12 and 15 said Epcot. Oh, see, I would choose if I only had one day. Uh huh. I would choose the Magic Kingdom. Oh, would you? I would it's, not. It's the one. Like, it's, it's the classic. The one. Now, if we go, if we are there and we go to a bunch of different parks, I might not like the Magic Kingdom the most yes. at the end of the week. Yeah. But I think if you told me I had one, I hadn't been there in a while, that's where I'm going. You'd, but do, you'd go classic. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I like Epcot, but you never hear people put it at the top of the list. That's Isn't interesting. That funny? I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We're, kind of, we're kind of odd ducks over at our house. Okay. So, Brian, let's let's go a little more serious and talk about the things that rob us of joy. And that's right. Deborah Filetto, she's over at Relevant Magazine writing about this and like any good author she's got five c's okay and i'll just list all the c's and then you and i can kind of talk about which ones stand out to us so she Mm -hmm. says comparing Mm -hmm. she says complaining she says competing Mm -hmm. she says controlling the last one is criticizing so once again comparing complaining competing controlling criticizing do any of those stand out to you as like yep that's my joy stealer right there Oh, easy comparing. Mm. It's it's the comparison. It's yeah. the yeah. Uh, it's the well that person 
has a nicer house than me. That yeah. person, uh, they've got a bigger church than me. They speak better than me or whatever else yeah. it might be. Their yeah. podcast or their radio show is more successful or yeah. whatever it might be. Look at them on Facebook. They got to go on this vacation. Mm. When I get... Uh, I can get into a bad place comparing myself mm-hmm. to other people and then taking my eyes off the fact of I got it pretty good. Like yeah. my family's good. Everyone's good. Um, when, when I'm comparing myself and then seeing myself as inferior, like, like comparing and then being jealous of what other people have, uh, I can get into a bad spot. That's it for me. How about you? Well, can I ask you a question before we dive onto mine or dive into mine? Yep, Do yep. you have an antidote? Like when you recognize that's happening, I mean, you're mature enough to know like, oh, here I'm spiraling again in my comparison spiral. What do you do? Oh, that's a great question. I don't always do well, I would say. Uh, but when I'm doing well, I will I will take time to remind myself of what I do have. <laughs> like, uh, And usually if I'm in a rut, I'll be like, I need to go do something fun. It's a, I need to go on a date with my wife. I need oh, to. Oh, that's we good. As, I like that. We as a family need to go do something, you know, whatever else it might be. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I spiral like that will be the one that gets me like. Yeah. Oh, that it's you know what? And as a pastor, let's just be honest. This sounds awful. It's usually by what another church is doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's so, so hard not to compare yourself to another yeah, church. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I compare myself church to church much more than family mm. to family. I don't, I'm never like, I wish I had that family. I'm oftentimes going, I wish I had what that church has. You know what? And I will say that too. That I'm going to just add on to this conversation is like the ridiculous thing that I do is when I do that, I wish we had what that church has. It's always like a mega church. Like I'm like comparing our <laughs> tiny little church plant to like, I wish we had what that mega church down the yes, road had. Yes, it's yes. like, well, that's not, you're comparing apples and oranges. I know it's ridiculous, but comparison's a real one. Okay, just, I, I think I would have said comparing too, but just for the sake of picking something else, I think I'll actually go with criticizing. Here's what Deborah Folletta says. It's true that the people who put others down the most are the ones who are struggling the most within themselves. Happy people can easily find the good in others and can just as easily find it in themselves. And I actually think for me, criticizing other people is connected to comparing because I think it's sort of my sinful defense mechanism. So if I find that I'm comparing myself to the, the, a best-selling author and I'll start to be like, well, the, this is what I do. I criticize. The only reason she's a best-selling author is because her mom is so-and-so and she's already rich and famous and she's not even a good writer. She just happens to be a celebrity. And so that's why people, and I just like will justify someone else's success or really my comparing myself to their success by criticizing. And it's ugly. It mm-hmm. is gross. And it is like, okay, Lord, do I not see your abundant hand in my life enough? To just be grateful that you're like, I wish my instinct, I know this is why I'm a sinner and I need the grace of God. I wish my instinct was to be like, praise God for that success that person's having. That's awesome. <laughs> and just yeah, leave hard. it at that. Like bless them and celebrate them. But instead, I I find all kinds of ways to criticize. And it's totally my jealousy. It is totally that I find something uh, faulty in my in myself. Okay, Brian, the last like 10 seconds we have. Any way that we can choose joy throughout our day? Any words of wisdom there? I This is going to sound super simple, but just look at the stuff you have to be mm. joyful for. And I know there's some people out there who might be struggling to find those things. You do, even the little things. Uh, but once I actually think about the actual things in front of me, I go, oh, you know, I've got a lot to be thankful for. I have yeah. a lot to be joyful about. So, and so good. It sounds super simple, but actually pause and look around a little bit. 
Mm, that's that's such a good word. Well, speaking of joy, we actually have some delightful news to share with you that will definitely bring joy to your heart when we return. Stick around for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We are so thrilled that you've been with us today. And it is the end of today's show. And as you know by now, at the end of every show, we love to send you home with something inspiring or challenging or something that'll just put a smile on your face. Brian, I found a delightful news story that is centered around a message in a bottle. Have you ever gotten a message in a bottle? Because I've always wanted to, and I never no. have. Oh, no, never man. sent one out, never gotten one. No, no, no. Yes. I think my husband, Kevin, has actually sent several out, but he's never received one. And they it seems like they haven't been, or if they've been you know, found, he doesn't know it yet. So he's still holding on. Do you know what we used to do in elementary school where what? I grew up in New Jersey? There was this big day where we would all, this sounds super bad for the environment now that I think about it, <laughs> right. but we'd all have a balloon. And you would you would have a card uh, attached to the balloon and it would have your name and your address and your phone number or something. Right. Yeah. The whole point was you let it go and then somebody finds it and they write you a letter and you'd hear these stories of like a state, two states away. Yes. Uh, Never for me. I'm sure all of mine just fell like one block over. You hear cool (laughs) stories, but we did that every year. Now that I think about it, all the balloons that were just. Oh, gosh, it is terrible, isn't it? (laughs) That must have been a a countrywide thing. from our generation because we did that too. I'll never forget really? like putting a little note in balloon and letting it go and seeing what ha- and sometimes you'd you'd hear the stories on the news of like so and so who found this kid's balloon, but right. yeah, my balloon never got found. Never either. mind. Yeah. Never mind. Well, all right. That's a that's a segue into actually a great message in a bottle story. A teen in Maryland, listen to this, befriended a woman in Ireland through a message in the bottle. I want to share their story with our listeners because it is so incredible. Let's go ahead and take a listen. There is nothing more magical than a message in a bottle. So when Sasha Yonyak and his beloved neighbor and fishing partner, Mr. Wayne, found one three years ago, they decided to pay it forward, repacking the bottle with their own note. We went one mile offshore off Ocean City, Maryland, and we threw it in and it just started sailing. The now 14-year-old didn't give it much thought until this month. More than three years later and half a world away, Rita Simmons and Kieran Marin were walking on this Irish beach when they noticed something in the sand. You could see a wee bow was tied, tied up to something in the bottle. And uh, so we sort of knew right away we, there was a message in the bottle. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's something you sort of dream of as a kid. And so they reached out to the boy who wrote the note, finding Sasha's father through Facebook. I was excited and surprised it actually made it somewhere. They connected online and have now forged a friendship. The universe has just brought us together. They're seeing me as family photos and uh, we're finding out a little bit more, you know, as we uh, each day. New friends, a good reminder of an old one. Mr. Wayne died three months ago. That bottle just reflects the happy time that they had together. We found it at exactly the right time in Sasha's life. Hopefully it'll bring him some good into his life. There's already talk of a visit to Ireland, thanks to a bottle, the sea, and the magic of friendship. Okay, so essentially this kid 
is fishing, hanging out with his neighbor named Mr. Wayne. They put this message in the bottle and it's all, you know, tidy and, and tied with a little string. It's really, really cute. And then three years later, so the kid I think was uh, 11, now he's 14. Three years later, it's found by this couple in Ireland. And then the couple finds his dad and then connects with the boy. And they've built this beautiful friendship across the ocean. And then his little neighbor and fishing buddy, Mr. Wayne, died. (sighs) And so it's like now this Irish couple has been a source of comfort to this boy in his time of grief. And it's just I mean, this is a Hallmark movie waiting to happen. It is. I think the most amazing part of that story to me is the is that it took three years. I agree. Yes. Like, I, I understand it had a really, really, really long way to go. So it probably shouldn't surprise me. But I, I would have thought, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I would have thought. The, the, the idea of three. The kid must have totally forgot about it. Like, I'm sure he gave no thought to it. Absolutely. Until he gets this message on Facebook or a phone call or whatever. And he had to be like, who, what, what? And then he's yeah. talking to people who have awesome accents. And I uh, totally, that's and the best part reconnected. about it. I, it's a cool, it's a heartwarming story. You are right. It is, uh, it is right up your, uh, your alley of Hallmark movies. Don't it you totally think it's right? Is. Don't you think yep. it's right up the alley? I, I think you like, as I hear that story, you know, one of the things that I am thinking about is how we, we're so connected with the world now. And like you can, if you got a friend living in Ireland, you text them and two seconds later, they have your message, right? Mm. And so communication across the world is not as like uh, mind blowing as it used to be, but there is something about sort of this, I don't know, this romantic, nostalgic, old school way of communicating that makes this very special, right? And and I, I don't know, this little couple just walking along the beach in Ireland Finding this bottle, I think there's something like so neat about it. Apparently, um, the bottle also contained two one dollar bills, and apparently, this was uh, just for people who care about this stuff. It, it was thirty two hundred miles away, so the bottle Crazy. traveled over three years, thirty two hundred miles. And I, uh, I'm with you. I think the fact that it took um, that long is so wild. Like the fact that it took three years is so wild. Apparently the letter was a little bit wet, but (laughs) this couple were, they're from Belfast. They were on vacation in Donegal, Ireland. They um, let it dry by their fireplace overnight and they were able to read the bottle the next morning. And the kid talked about himself, his sibling, his friends, his hobbies. He talked about how he loved boogie boarding and he loved fish and crabs and he's a really active person. And then said that he lived in Ocean City, Maryland and mm-hmm. uh, included his phone number. And they, this couple says that they were determined to find him. So I think it'll be neat if they end up traveling and meeting each other one day and share some pictures together. I think something like that would be really, really sweet. Um, so who plays who plays the kid in the movie? Who plays oh, the kid in the movie? Oh, I, I, that's so good. Who do you think? I'm not good at casting. I don't kids. know the kid. I think I think the Ireland side is uh, it's Liam Neeson. Nielsen. Oh, I think. okay, yeah, that would be good. That would be but, really uh, good. I just for it, the accent, just for the accent. Yeah, I don't know the, the kid. Accent. I just feel like you don't make it a kid anymore, but you actually figure out a way to make it Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. <laughs> I feel like they are the story. <laughs> they're, they're always the right cast. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, Brian. So if you were going to send a message in a bottle across the world, what information would you put in it? 
Man, that's wild. I think I'd want to treat it also a little bit like a time capsule. I think yeah. I'd want to tell them who I was, where I was from. I'd want to make it very clear. Contact me. I really want to hear from you. But then I'd be like, on the day I sent this, here's what was going on. Maybe put in a newspaper clipping or something like that. That would be, I think, really interesting. I, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe we should do this as a show. We'll, Maybe uh, we should. Yeah, except we don't live by the ocean. <laughs> well, this is a good excuse to go we'll put to it, vacation. We'll put it in Lake Michigan and hope it finds its way to like, I don't know, <laughs> New Buffalo, Michigan or Grand Haven or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a little that's a little bit not as exciting as Ireland, but okay. All right, we'll give we'll give it a try. And do you think that you would definitely try to contact if you were the recipient of a message in a bottle, would you definitely try to contact the person? If they asked you to, I totally would. Sure. Why not? Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. I think that'd be fun, too. All right. Well, you you can watch this video by going to NBCnews.com slash nightly news and just searching friendship formed after message in a bottle. Search Ireland, search Maryland. You will certainly find it. But we hope that story brings a smile to your face. I love thinking about this friendship across the generation and across the ocean as well. There's something so, so cool about that. And I feel like I deserve the rights to the movie. So you got it. Tom Hanks will play with it for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll make a lot of money from that. Well, Anyway, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.